podcast starts. Hello everyone, and welcome, if this is your first time listening to the show, and welcome back. If you're a returning listener, thanks for sticking with us. This podcast talks about horror, horror in film, TV, other media, other items which we think of as adjacent to horror, and sometimes other things from our lives which we'd like to talk about just because that's who we are. Our discussions aim to be fun, intelligent, and hopefully useful if your interest in horror texts comes from a creative or academic perspective, but be warned. We do tend to swear occasionally, and if it's anything less offensive than the C-word, it won't get bleeped. So, if you happen to still be able to go into your place of work at the moment, we may not be safe for it. In today's episode, we're going to be returning to our new strand of investigations into 90s gothic cinema, and we're going to be talking about 1994's Neil Jordan film, Interview with the Vampire, colon, The Vampire Chronicles. (laughs) Now, some movie podcasters introduce themselves by subverting a line from the movie they're about to talk about, and we like to do that in 90s Gothic. Therefore, I'd like to say to you, allow me to introduce myself. I am a man of wealth and taste. Actually, I'm just Dan. Um, T.D. Velasquez in Greater Manchester. And I'm very happy to be here and to be joined by... I'm Stella in Manchester, and I'm actually quite fond of looking at crucifixes. Wonderful, and also... <laughs> well, I, I assume I need no introduction. Um, but if oh, I, apologies, Kirsty. <laughs> but if I have to, I'm Kirsty in Shropshire. <laughs> and finally... And I'm a vampire pretending to be human, pretending to be a podcaster. Avant-garde. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Ian Winterton in Cheshire. <laughs> Splendid. How are we all? Knackered. Well, yeah, knackered. Same as last week. Cold. Uh, Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you and um, Ian and Stella were on the podcast last week and we're already knackered then. Kirsty's returning to us for the first time in 2021. Woo! Um, And I think it's fair to say that we're very glad to see and hear you, but you're also knackered. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's what the nineteenth, twentieth. Um, I'm already, yeah, I'm already done with twenty twenty one. Already could just hibernate for the, you know, until the sun comes out again and things are warm. The coffin, yeah. Yes, no, yeah. absolutely. Or yeah, you know, just hide hide away in a in a decrepit New Orleans plantation house <laughs> until I feel like coming out again. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, come on. Let's end the podcast, we're going. (laughs) That's a plan. Um, I guess, I think, Ian, it was you last week who said that it's not 2021 until something nice happens to to break the streak of 2020. Touch touch wood, that's happening tomorrow. Yeah, hopefully there won't be terrible things. Yes, on the 20th of January. Oh, tomorrow because of the inauguration? Yes, not to get political or anything, but... um, I think on this show, we're, we're probably all quite invested in it. No, I don't want to get political, but it'd be great if his plane took off tomorrow and crashed in a bowling fire ball. <laughs> just before the inauguration. <laughs> That's great. We should probably just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't think any of us have got any major horror news to talk about this week. I'm just going to mention a couple of things. One 
something that's been keeping me sane for the last few days, or possibly pushing me into the bounds of the tragically insane, uh, is the new craze for sea shanties on TikTok. Are you all aware <laughs> yes. of this? Yeah, I'm aware of it, but I've not seen it. I have been listening to the Wellerman on repeat for three days by now. There once was a ship that went to sea. The name of the ship was the Belly of Tea. If you'd had my childhood, you would not. You know the first band I ever saw live with the fucking Spinners. Because <laughs> my parents, it's the only tape they had in the car was the Spinners. I think we've got a vinyl album of the Spinners in this house. I, I was sick of sea shanties by the time I was five, and that's all we ever heard. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's refreshing to me between that and the ghosts in your house you had no chance really no. did you Ian no <sighs> I don't know how I... a haunted man in more ways than one the reason I didn't buy my first vinyl till I was 15 I didn't really know what music was <laughs> right. at all and then what did you buy uh, White Light White Heat by The Velvet Underground it was genuinely <laughs> my first album purchase because I'd been told what was cool <laughs> Well, that is probably a pretty good album. I think the first album I bought or got bought for me was the Alien soundtrack. (laughs) First thing I bought was the Levelers. Oh, it wasn't. I mean, I was a big Levelers fan back in the day, but it wasn't the first. I think the first thing I ever bought, I saved up, wasn't vinyl though. Was uh, it was on tape? Yeah, uh, (laughs) Name the Cherries, Raw Like Sushi. That was my first. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. (laughs) Anyway, <laughs> didn't understand any of it. Whatever, yeah. 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 Anyway, so now, now we're a music music podcast now. <laughs> now the other bit of news I, I wanted to mention was just that a a, fil- a pandemic thriller film has appeared on Amazon Prime. Songbird, produced by Michael Bay. Uh, I was going to watch it over breakfast this morning, but because of uh, work stress and various things, I didn't get up early enough. So. Um, it doesn't look very good, and it's got name actors in it like Bradley Whitford and Demi Moore. I've only watched <laughs> the first few minutes of it, but I suspect it's a lot more exploitative yeah. of the situation. But I'd like to watch it to make a, a, an informed judgment. Yeah, I'll watch it this weekend, I think. It's the fifth year of lockdown. Yeah, yeah. It, it's about COVID-23, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You just see that everyone was like watching Contagion and everyone's been... Everyone's yeah. been buying apocalyptic stuff off the internet, like me, buying Threads mm. and The Mad Def and watching uh, watching Survivors. I think lots of people... Somebody probably went, there's money in this. People, yeah, people want definitely. to be depressed while, <laughs> while they're locked in their homes. Um, so I've kind of been attracted to it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch that. So I suppose it's worked. We watched Contagion quite early on didn't we? in lockdown in lockdown two it was a big I craze think. wasn't it as soon as yeah. and it started. was uh it was uncannily familiar yeah watching contagion because they're on about the r rate and stuff for me and Owen just sat there going have we put the news on yeah, <laughs> yeah. the way it, yeah. the way it ends with a bat and uh it's a really good film actually <laughs> it is a good film it also it also really got it really got how mad america is wrong i mean it's fairly <laughs> civilized and the disease is really deadly compared to what we've got in real life and, you know, it's, some parts of the world have turned into Mad Max already. <laughs> Just over toilet roll. Well, oh, we've got dear. that to look forward to, haven't we? Yeah. Happy thoughts. Well, let's get on to something cheerier like gothic <laughs> horror then. Yeah. yeah. Something um, much more escapist. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Interview with the Vampire, the second film we'll be looking at in our survey of the big-budget gothic horror films to be produced by major Hollywood companies during the 1990s. Written for the screen by Anne Rice and based upon the first of her hugely popular novel series, The Vampire Chronicles, it was directed for Geffen Pictures by Neil Jordan, the Irish director of The Company of Wolves, Mona Lisa and The Crying Game, and released in 1994. The story of the film is framed by sequences set in modern-day San Francisco, as 200-year-old vampire Louie, played by a less-than-200-year-old Brad Pitt, gives an exclusive interview to young journalist Daniel, played by Bram Stoker's Dracula-esque P. Christian Slater, who stepped in after River Phoenix, who had originally been cast in the role, tragically died from a drug overdose a few weeks prior to shooting. In his interview... Backed up by lushly visualised period flashbacks which make up the bulk of the film, Louis tells of his siring as a vampire in 18th century Louisiana by the flamboyant Lestat de Leoncourt, and how the pair then literally chewed their way through Louisiana society, inducting a childlike vampire, Claudia, encountering other bloodsuckers, and heading for Europe. A bewigged Tom Cruise plays Lestat in a piece of casting that was controversial at the time, not least with Rice herself, while Kirsten Dunst makes an early screen appearance as Claudia, and Antonio Banderas and Stephen Ray turn up as members of a Parisian coven of theatrical vampires. Our discussion will go into plot details for both the film and the original novel, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now and don't come back until you've watched or read. The film is currently available for free streaming if you're a subscriber to Amazon Prime. But before we start our discussion, let's listen to the trailer. I want you to see we get started. So you want me to tell you the story of my life? I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you all of it. I'm flesh and blood, but not human. I haven't been human for 200 years. From the novel by Anne Rice. From Neil Jordan, the director of The Crying Game. I've come to answer your prayers. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? His name is Lestat. But what if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain and give you another life. One you could never imagine. I can see you lying on a bit of satin. He chose one man. He gave him infinite power. Eternal life. And a daughter who would be forever young. This is the only real evil left. And then he took the light of day. You're a vampire who never knew what life was until it ran out in a red gush over your lips. I can't stand this any longer. You made us what we are, didn't you? If God kills indiscriminately, and so shall we. You like dying? You condemn me to hell! Monster.
Brad Pitt, Stephen Ray, Antonio Banderas, Kirsten Dunst, and Christian Slater. Interview with the Vampire. So there we go. That takes us back to 1994, the year that Interview with the Vampire was released. Um, I think, as with Bram Stoker's Dracula, the previous film we discussed in this series, we all had a contemporary experience with the movie. Um, again, I think I'd like to go to Kirsty first, as we did last <laughs> time, because Kirsty, I know that you have an affinity not just with this film but with the source material. Yes. So, yeah. do you want to talk to us about that? Please? Yes. So, off the back of being obsessed with Dracula, <laughs> I became <laughs> very obsessed with um, Anne Rice's uh, Vampire Chronicles, and um, again waited for this film with you know eager teen girl like anticipation um and yeah so i read I, yeah i read the books and continued reading the books after i'd seen this film but um at this this time i'm going to give a shout out to my mum who um i convinced to take me to see this 18 rated <laughs> film in our local uh uh cinema which at that point was you know one of the old-fashioned one screen <laughs> cinemas in the middle of the town center Oh, um, you saw it at the cinema. Yeah, you would have been about I did. 14. I was 14 and I made her take me. Right. <laughs> and she oh, took fantastic. me to see this film. Um, and yeah, and again, I was, I was, you know, for for some months, years after, completely obsessed with the whole thing. So, yeah, not quite as strongly, I think, as uh, Dracula, but certainly got very involved in, in the the. Um, Vampire Chronicles series read most of them gave up when I was about 20 if I'm honest um, so mm. I've not read all of them but you know they're very kind of rich complex um, yeah wordy novels <laughs> um, yeah with uh, yeah kind of very vivid vampire characters so cool how about you Stella well I didn't see it at the cinema um, so when it came out in 94 I was 13 uh, my mum bought it on video and my mum went to see it at the cinema because I think she'd read the book first I think she went saw it at the cinema, she enjoyed it, she bought it on video and then I watched and rewatched and rewatched and rewatched it over and over and over again I think the tape probably did start to stretch after a while um, I, yeah I was well into it I don't think I was at the same obsessive levels <laughs> so I didn't read any of the books myself Um but it was definitely a, a formative film in terms of the kind of stuff that I was starting to sort of find and figure out what I liked for myself. Um, I do remember talking about it at school to my school friends and them all being like, what are you talking about? None of us have seen this film. And I think I might have talked about it too much in their opinion. <laughs> but it was the first time that I'd seen Brad Pitt in anything and... I don't really think I was aware of Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise at the time. I've not really been paying attention to films that much, I don't think, until until around 12, 12, 13. So, yeah, I saw it at a time where it formed lots of ideas. And, yes, I like this gothic stuff and I like vampires and I like and I like horror. So it was all, all fitting snugly into place. Nice one, Stella. Ian, before we go to you, I'm just going to say my piece quickly because i think i've probably got the least to say i've actually only seen this film twice i watched it once in the 90s and once now i liked it both times but like you guys i came to it in the 90s off the back of bram stoker's dracula mania um i think i i 
probably got my sister Maureen to tape it for me off Sky. And I watched it and thought it was great. Um, but it didn't dislodge my love for Bram Stoker's Dracula, I suppose. And I always kind of saw those films as competing. Um, so I didn't become obsessed with it. It's just kind of sat in my memory as, um, you know, a well-made and enjoyable film. Uh, an impression which was pretty much reinforced when I rewatched it for this. And uh, it's a beautiful looking film. Yeah. Um, and there's there's loads to say about it. But um, I I think that you've you've probably all got you're going to echo the points I would make. So I want to move on to see. Ian, what's your um, memory of seeing it originally and how you feel about it now? Well, like you, I've seen it twice. Um, unlike you guys, I was an actual grown-up. had to buy my own cinema ticket in 1994. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, I I did um, my BA, which I did, which I graduated in 94. Um, we, one of the books on an American studies, an American literature module, one of our books... It was very, very trendy. We did like American Psycho, but uh, and and quite a lot of modern books. Um, but one of them, and one of them was Anne Rice, uh, Interview with the Vampire. So I got to be somebody who didn't know it was going to be a film and read the book, which is probably quite rare now. It's like the amount of people that have read the book without knowing there's a movie or without having Brad Pitt, even if you've never seen it, you kind of know Brad Pitt and. Tom Cruise are in the movie of the book. Um, so I really liked the book and I can still remember really enjoying writing essays about it. And I can still still remember the quotes I memorized for the exam and stuff because it was a text we had to write in under exam conditions on Interview with a Vampire. All of that without the movie having coming out. Um, and then when I saw the movie, I think, like Dan said, it is kind of mixed in with with... Bram Stoker's Dracula, which, as we were saying when we covered that, I think I missed the point of it being an early 20-something uncouth bloke, not very in touch with my feminine side, maybe. And I preferred this film to Dracula. Didn't, but also, like Dan, I didn't go, oh, my God, I've got to watch this over and over again now. I just thought it was all right. I did know who Tom Cruise was, so it took me out of it quite a lot that it was Tom Cruise. Um, which I think a lot of people had that reaction. It was like, oh, he's really good. He's Tom Cruise. It's Tom Cruise. You're kind of laughing at Tom Cruise in a wig if you don't. If if you, <laughs> it if, is a bad wig. If you don't, they're all bad. Wigs. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's very <laughs> even Brad Pitt. It's like seeing those guys in those sort of roles somehow take takes you one step away from being convinced by the movie for me. I mean, it is quite strange. I think that I possibly was seeing Brad Pitt for the first time yeah, yeah. when I watched this, yeah. and it's but it's kind of odd looking back at it because it seems like the kind of role that a much older actor would do who wanted to change his image. Yeah. It's kind of hard to imagine Brad Pitt doing it, um, but uh, I think he's rather good in it. Yeah. Um, you guys may disagree. Can I come back to the whole Tom Cruise thing? Yeah. So I said, one of the things that I've really reflected on, and I've tried, you know, it's like kind of the falsity of memory, I'm trying to re reacquaint with my, myself with what I thought about it at the time. And I think at the time I was pretty obsessed, but I think as my, you know, kind of appraisal of the film changed as I read the novels, and also as my, alongside reading the novels, how my 
Like, I really, I'm honest, I really fucking hate Tom Cruise. <laughs> and I, I, I did, and I, but I had a real passionate dislike for him in the sort of mid-90s. And he was making a lot of movies that I just wasn't interested in, didn't like him. I didn't like the personality he was becoming off camera you know (laughs) yeah i didn't like that at all yeah and i and i and so i for a long time i kind of i think i really thought to myself he's a really terrible lestat i don't see him as lestat at all and then watching it this time coming back to it and kind of suddenly kind of going oh actually he's actually he's a really good lestat he in many ways embodies exactly what that character should be um and there's something about a kind of a, he's an oily wanker who's probably into scientology the vampire yeah well i th- this is the thing i, I wondered <laughs> to what extent my uh, my sort of reappraisal of that is to do with the way that tom cruise's sort of star image has evolved since the last time i saw the film mm. um that it you know and that kind of you know um messiah kind of complex mm. um that Lestat absolutely has yeah, is yeah. you know something that kind of that tom cruise has exhibited several times um and also the fact that you know he, he refuses as a star to kind of age in any meaningful way and stop doing stuff that mm. you know um <laughs> so yeah it's just kind of yeah. an interesting kind of experience i had watching it this time kind of going oh, oh okay it's not he's not quite what i thought he was in in terms of his performance in the film yeah i think i really enjoy tom cruise's performance as lestat um and i find brad pitt's performance really grating in it i think he's just too Mm. i don't know i just but just because in loads of other things brad pitt is so good Mm. i think my Mm. opinion i think he's fabulous actor sometimes with the right film and then in that in into the vampire he's just so it's just like nothing nothing about him yeah he didn't just, he just feels a, a good bit time, like though, was he's he? just he there to look by pretty. himself out yeah yeah he, was, he, he looks out of his element he got depressed and he said he didn't like the script he said it had focused on the stat and yeah. the louis in the book has got a lot more going on whereas he said the louis in the film is just an observer which is kind of true he's so under the thrall of the stat mm. that he doesn't he, he hardly does any action even claudia does most of the action the bit that he suddenly does is somehow all the vampires in paris none of them wake up even though he's up he must have set an alarm and he sets them all <laughs> on fire and kills them all yeah he chops that guy in half i did think that scene was odd because it played like he was a human who can walk around in the daylight ambushing vampires while they slept. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he isn't. He's another vampire, so... Well, the other vampire's awake. Yeah, Armand, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Armand's awake, and then the guy that he chops in half, he's he's up and about. Maybe he's got insomnia. I don't well, know. Some, yeah. yeah. Something yeah. that I remember from my first my first viewing of it, and this is weird when you watch a film and then you literally, in 1994 and then you literally watch it in 2021, is... The shape of movies stays with you. And I remember thinking up to the first half, this was brilliant. And the second half gets a bit more flabby. Doesn't mm. doesn't quite know what it's doing. And then it's all wrapped up far too quickly because they don't want to make yeah. a three-hour epic because they didn't no. do that mm-hmm. sort of thing in those days as much. Um, mm. and, yeah. and it all speeds along a bit. Um, and it's all right, but it, now you watch it and go, well, there's obviously going to be a sequel to this because it's setting up 
it's like the first episode or something. Hmm. Um, yeah, when, yeah, yeah. And then there was no more. Um, I'll tell you what um, I'd forgotten from my viewing of it originally, though, and this is interesting given what you've just said about Brad Pitt's misgivings, is that I'd forgotten that Tom Cruise is really only in the first half of the film. Then he yeah. disappears and it's all about Louis and Claudia mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until Lestat just reappears literally five minutes before the end of the film. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I don't remember it being like that. I remember Tom Cruise dominating it. Yeah. Mm. I think um, all the scenes that Tom Cruise is in, yeah. he's completely dominating yeah, every yeah. single scene with yeah. Louis just... Yeah. Every just, frame. <laughs> every frame and he's just there and he's leaping in and out of it and yeah, his yeah. shirt's undone and his wig's all askew and, yeah. and Louis yeah. just sort of sat there with a puss on the whole <laughs> yeah. time and he said, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Eat the yeah. slaves. Yeah, that might be, a, that might be the problem with it then because uh, Armand is no Tom Cruise. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I remember. I do remember liking Armand at the time and on setting viewing, um, you know, I, I think that... Um, what's his name? Oh, my God. Antonio Banderas yeah, yeah. is, is seems very boots. relaxed, I think. Possibly <laughs> yeah. the most relaxed person in the film, yeah. in that role. Well, don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, don't, I don't hate the second half, and I really like the whole build-up to, to Claudia's death. That's really effective. It's quite sad. Um, it's just... I think it's just speeded up. My my vengeance was amazing. Tell me how your ven- you did your vengeance. No, I won't. I'll just show everyone burning. Yeah. And some stuntmen flying around. And it was all a bit rushed to the finish line. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it could have been, it yeah. could have been so yeah. much better. No, and there's some big, big, big plot holes as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The whole kind of... So what's Lestat been doing for that, that period of, what, 100 years or so? Just sitting in that house. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, does he not need to feed? Well, when Louis mm. gets there, there's loads of rats on the floor. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, okay. But that's, uh, that's yeah. the only explanation that you've got. And suddenly, out of nowhere, there's a helicopter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, why is it looking? <laughs> what do they think's in there? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and also, he's never seen artificial light before. No, yeah. and also, and then, it, then when he kind of rocks up at the end of the film as well, it's, you know, they, they give him lines which suggest that he kind of knows what um, Daniel knows. Mm. Which mm. yeah, that he's yeah. been listening to the interview or something. Yeah, yeah. Like he was outside <laughs> listening in <laughs> um, by the door. But but the the bit he's when when Louis telling him I was, you know telling telling Christian Slater oh, I saw I saw Lestat not very long ago. I think the implication I think from the novel Lestat is he that's kind of the impetus to make him get off his ass and find out what the twenty first twentieth century is all yeah. about. And then I think he goes and follows Louis to the interview. I think that's the indication. And then he, you know, as in the end of the film. But I remember hating the book Lestat because it made him a pop star or a rock star. And it was just cheese. I just yeah. remember going, ugh, cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Making him a rock star. Okay, so yeah. maybe this is a point to give a bit of... A- uh, sort of historical production and literary context mm. of this. So, from my point of view, having not read the books, um, I understand the first book came out in like seventy-five. Is mm. that right? Seventy-six. I've got. Seven, yeah, late seventies. Wow, is it that old? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and the the film rights were bought immediately, but it just took ages to come to fruition. And I I 
um, unlike nearly all the, all the other films we'll be talking about in the 90s gothic series, this movie isn't produced by Columbia TriStar or American Zoetrope, but I think it's fair to say that it probably is the success of Bram Stoker's Dracula that made it finally a viable proposition mm. in, in the early 90s. Yeah. And also the success of The Crying Game, which brought Neil Jordan on board as an interested director. And I'll tell you what, another thing I'd forgotten from my first viewing is I'd completely forgotten Stephen Ray was in this film. And that he gets his name above the title, which obviously, you know, he just starred in The Crying Game. But... um, He's just, I'm just used to seeing him as a shambolic character actor on occasional TV programs now. Um, yeah. And he's completely different in there. You know, I was going, I was going oh, who's that guy? And I realized it was Stephen Lee. Obviously, uh, Anne Rice's um, series of novels focuses on Lestat and, and a, a few other major vampires, one of whom is Armand, who I think gets a whole novel to himself later. Yeah, he does, yeah. 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 Um, so... I am familiar with only this movie and the the, the subsequent movie, uh, Queen of the Damned, in which Lestat is is a pop star. But is that something which come up, comes out of the first book and that they didn't include in this film? No, no, it's not. It's not in the first book. I remember I remember liking the first book and then the sequel right. suddenly turned me off. Even though I kind of read it, but I was there going, "This is cheesy." Yeah. Oh right. It's um, it was uh. And it goes back thousands of years. Yeah, I think the problem is it's, it's more about character, though, isn't it? What makes, for me as a reader, and also I think the, the kind of the film work, to a certain extent, is that you following this uh, very kind of bland character as the narrator. So we're not that invested in Louis, <laughs> because it's Louis is the way in which we're experiencing the kind of vampire world and Lestat in particular. So our, you know, kind of understanding of Lestat comes through Louis, um, so it's an external perspective, whereas in Vampire Lestat and many of the other novels, Lestat is the narrator, and this, Lestat, um, as as is very, very clear in the film, fucking loves himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's arrogant, And he, but, but you know, kind of Anne Rice follows that by essentially kind of equipping him with or facilitating just completely mad stories where he gets, you know, to hang out with the you know the original vampire and and you know and kind of and and body swap and all sorts of other things um pretty much because he's Lestat which you know hmm. is arrogant af <laughs> right <laughs> but that's the character though you know so he is kind of so I'm, I'm, I can't remember for sure if in the in the in the books if he's an actual rock star or that's just a kind of conceit of the the film adaptation you know, but I, I've, not seen, I've not seen any of the other films it's, it's in it's in he's a rock star yeah it's kind of like it flashes back and you go thank god they flash back oh okay and every so often he keeps going back to the awful present where he's a rock star <laughs> and it just makes you go Ugh. yeah well, yeah, so okay. just yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds bad. <laughs> well, that's what I remember. <laughs> it's a long time ago. But oh, she's, uh, lots of people absolutely love Anne mm. So uh, yeah, and I, I did less so now. Have you, have you ever been to New Orleans? No, I'd love to go though. I'd love to go. Yeah, I, I went to New Orleans and I was there for Halloween, and I did go near. I did go. Oh, somebody said you should go to Anne Rice's house because she puts on a really good Halloween thing in her garden. Yeah. And it was just surrounded by groupies. Oh, you know, groupies. Yeah, I can fans. imagine. 
pilgrims and and she just had lots of skeletons up in the garden and and behind iron gates and then her sort of mounts was up on the up on the not really on a hill but you know set away after a big garden Um, wow yeah and new orleans is amazing and, uh, mm. yeah. Oh, I'd love to go. Yeah, one day. One yeah. day. One day. Yeah. It's one of my three or four cities in the world that I must visit. Yeah, yeah. yeah being there for um, Halloween was something else. Because <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's, I guess Mardi Gras was the, it was was the other. Mm. Yeah, the other time, time to be, be there. there. But... but yeah. <laughs> ah, brilliant. Um, yeah. In terms of my viewing this time, um, I'd like your takes on this because I found it good, but. Um, I don't think it really connected with me very much emotionally this time. I mean, I remember things like the death of Claudia being horrifying, and I thought it sort of wasn't, although it was still probably the the emotional high point of the movie. Um, Mm. But somehow the, the, the whole film is very, very artfully composed it's got that lovely disquieting washy elliot goldenthal score um underneath almost every moment um but i I just i was i i didn't really find it thrilling at at any point um and i'm kind of maybe that's why i've never watched it again Um, how did you guys feel watching it after all these years because I know that when we watched Bram Stoker's Dracula again, which we'd all loved, but not I think most of us had not seen for a long time, you know, um, the, the enthusiasm came back, or in Ian, in Ian's case, arrived for the first time. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did this film stand up to uh, your viewing now? Stella, I'll start with you. Um, look, I did what I must have watched it. I don't know. Let's say it, 50 times in that first year that we had the VHS when I was a kid. And then I didn't watch it for years and years and years. I probably watched it in my early 20s. Um, probably watched it when it's been on telly on the in-between time. So I think I've watched it fairly regularly since I first started watching it. It's always a, oh, that's on TV. I watch that. It's one of my favourites. Um, and then watching it last night with a view to kind of talk about it, I realised that my... The way that I think about it or the way that I feel about it has been sort of not tainted, but definitely changed by how we studied it when I was at university. So we did we did the the week that we did on vampires. This was one of the key texts that we looked at. And the main thing that we talked about was the implied homosexual relationship between all of the vampires, it would seem. And I think and I can see here in all the notes that I've written, I've essentially written rewritten one of my old essays (laughs) and looking at how lots and lots of the film is allegorical for that and I think that's kind of I'm sure I've mentioned it before once you start if you've ever done any film studies and you start watching films in a certain way you can't really switch that off Mm. so I definitely watched it last night with my sort of student head on rather than fangirl head on Mm. and so that's kind of changed how I think about a lot of films really because there's a definite line in the sand of well before I used to just watch films for enjoyment and now I watch them and I can't help but think about all these other context and analysis that I could do with it um but to be fair last night when I watched it I think I enjoyed it watching it more last night than I have done for the past few times that I've watched it I think 
maybe it's but there's been a long enough gap where it was just like oh yeah and then that mm. bit and then this bit and I was laughing out loud at the bits that you're supposed to laugh at and mm. it's like when we, we watched Bram Stoker the other week it was like god I don't remember it being that funny mm. but it's actually really funny you know when I when I did remember to just stop watching it as if I'm trying to write an essay on it yeah and just just enjoy the film as is I think but yeah definitely made me laugh more than previous watches yeah I don't know why maybe I'm older and I get more of the uh the gags <laughs> that I used to. I was yeah. struck by how um, blatantly gay it was this time. It's which, so gay. Which I must have known in the <laughs> 90s, but but the idea of a big budget movie starring uh, stars like Cruz and Pitt going on full gay, essentially, well, in, in the their relatively early 90s, just strikes me as bizarre to imagine that. To put into context what things were like back then was Anne Rice, this was near to production, I mean, it was in development hell for 18 years, but close to production, she went, do you know what, the only way we're going to get this made is to make Louis female, and they cast Cher. Oh, wow. I'm glad that didn't happen, i got to say. <laughs> and she even, she, even wrote, she even wrote a song, which didn't get didn't make it onto the soundtrack. <laughs> Bless her. But she wrote Lovers Forever, which is on one of her albums, apparently, according to the internet. But that came very close to happening because they were so like, oh, the world's not ready for this. Yeah. And in the end, they went, no, fuck it, go for it. Which, who knows, that probably had a lot to do with, maybe had a lot to do with Geffen, who put in 70, you know, he put in $70 million. Yeah, yeah it's produced by David Geffen, who, who later co-founded DreamWorks. Which is why we have to put up with that awful... Guns and Roses at the end. I remember hating that. I, hate mm, I love that. I like The Cure and The Smiths. Guns and Roses. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's how oh, my brain's been. Wi- that's how my brain's been wired since I was fourteen. But roses. I think <laughs> with all the homoerotic stuff that's in it, and there's a lot. Yeah. I think. I mean, I'm certainly. I mean, I am t- entirely speaking for my mum here, which I probably shouldn't do. I don't think she would have seen it. All right. Because mm. I don't, I, yeah, it's. I, I don't, don't think. Yeah, it's. It, it's clearly. It's. It's, it's there, just. But, it's there, but it's not there overtly. Yeah, but, I mean, but there's the odd line. Yeah, though. there's the odd line and the odd. But there's yeah, and that you. So listen to this line. Are you ready? This yeah. is what I've written down and I've circled it many, many times in a red pen. <laughs> says with hearts. You never no. knew. <laughs> you never knew what life was like until it ran out in a big gush over your lips. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, how are we not seeing this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they're, they're, they're a family, they have a little daughter, and yeah, yeah. there's all this, you're beautiful, no, you're beautiful, and it's just like, it's so well, it's, gay. Well, it's, was, was... it's obviously supposed to be like that. I mean, the book's supposed to be like that. I mean, but it's, I've got a good quote from Juno Dawson, you know, who writes her attitude, she's a novelist and screenwriter on, on mm-hmm. um, queer theory. And it's just, she writes this big essay, but then she's got, in the middle of it, even without actual bumming, the movie is still very quick. <laughs> At its heart, a yeah. movie about a highly toxic same-sex relationship, which is yeah, yeah. which is kind of <laughs> it's definitely there, isn't it? Um, yeah, they just replace all the sex with biting. There were all rumours that there was a sex scene that they cut out, and it was getting yeah. here in the 25th anniversary, and I don't think it did, or we would have heard about it. No, no, hmm. it did strike me as well. Um, just had the thought just during this discussion that um, for Neil Jordan who just directed The Crying Game he probably wasn't bothered you no. know g- given yeah. the, the romantic relationship in that movie mm-hmm. 
this is is relatively conventional and doesn't include any on-screen penises. Spoiler. Mm. Um, so you know maybe um, I'm from Tom misremembering Cruise. the early '90s as being more conservative than it was. Um, Kirsty, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was going to actually come come in with a well, actually moment, um, <laughs> which is a, from from a kind of myth, vampire mythology from the book perspective. So, um, in whilst obviously the kind of homoerotic subtext is clearly there in both the novels and also the film, um, that the vampire mythology is such that, that vampires don't actually have sex. Mm. In Anne Rice's world, in that in that world, yeah. in that world, they don't have sex at all. And also, there's a, a sort of uh, there's a sort of rule where you can only make somebody else a vampire if they're beautiful. Mm. So there's a kind of an aesthetic uh, mm. kind of uh, imperative with vampire kind. I've always preferred my vampires Honestly. to be like you're immortal, but you give up so much of the pleasure of life. Well, yeah. Whereas yeah. in True Blood. <laughs> It's like, not only are we immortal, but look at us go, like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's like, well, why wouldn't anybody... Yeah. I'll have no bad words said about the true blood. Now it's legal. Why wouldn't everybody just be a vampire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In true blood. Yeah. Um, well, I love true blood for that, though, just because oh, it's yeah. just it's, the excess Yeah, I think that's, that's the, the linked that's episode, point, isn't, isn't it, it, to this, isn't it? Really, yeah, the yeah. kind of su- southern gothic vampires is definitely yeah. a thing we need to talk about. It's weird as well, because of the homosexual, the sort of homoerotic thing, lots of people said this was also had elements of gay shaming in that Lestat lives on his own terms and dies of AIDS. Um yeah, is is was one of the. I mean, Neil Jordan always denied it. He said to to him it was about Catholic guilt, um, and mm. you know, and hadn't considered AIDS at all. But you know, it came out after the epidemic had killed so many people. Mm, um, yeah. You know, the plague mm. the plague had gone through the community, and then so these are all things to be aware of. But I I think I think. I think its positives are that it was two Hollywood stars being openly, openly gay or almost openly gay. Oh yeah, that's and a it, yeah. I, I think the more yeah. troubling aspect, as with as with Dracula, is is sort of the role of women in it, because you basically have we're basically following two two same sex serial killers who seduce women and kill them in horrible ways, um, and all the women of got heaving cleavages and and don't say much. yes they do so yeah you know, the- so there's so been so many so many phrases that you've used ian to describe this that really 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 do except for the killing women bit um describe hannibal all right <laughs> the tv series just so many phrases like you know kind of um yeah toxic same-sex relationship etc ah, yes. um but the yeah so and the you know kind of one of the newer iterations of um well that's been kicked around was a tv show um that was being developed by hbo max mm. i don't know hulu hulu and then they lost hulu, then they, yeah, no, yeah anyway it's being shopped around again but brian fuller was actually involved in it for a yeah. while, as showrunner, <laughs> which would have been, you know, kind of off the back of Hannibal, he would have been mm. the perfect showrunner for that. Yeah, perfect. But no, casting. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I agree, absolutely agree with Ian about the kind of gender politics and also the racial politics of it. I think are, you know, not like Dodgy. If, if, yeah. <laughs> if it was made today, things would be done differently. And there is yeah. a kind of commodification and a kind of um, of both women and well, women of colour in particular. Yeah, that yeah. they are the sort of visual um, spice. 
um, uh, that you know kind of frames most of the victims in this in this film, and you know the kind of yeah the kind of Indra Ove one with the you know the t- the two um, kind of prostitutes, and she ends up in the coffin. Yeah. yeah, it's just pretty horrific, really. When he bites and yeah. chews on her nipples, yeah. and she didn't notice until yeah. she looks down. Yeah, yeah. that to me, <laughs> that that to me as well was it's the way. Maybe this is from a male perspective, but when you grow up as a teenager and you see women shuddering with ecstasy because they've had the nipple bitten, that's the sort of mm. stuff that you know is toxic as well. And and there's so many of those. Oh, he's biting my neck. It really hurts. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, I'm going to die in ecstasy because he's biting my neck. Or he's, in her case, like the shiver of, you know, orgasmic shiver because he's biting her nipple off. Um, I, guess, yeah. I guess you can argue it's it's sort of the glamour. It's, you know, the, as in the old Irish. Yeah, it, so true, but... He's got her under her spell. But it's um, the lack of female. It's, it's not the lack of female characters. Even when they expand the vampire universe. Or it's there's like one woman and everyone out, you know, every and yeah. they're all they're all white and they're all they're all supposed to be from so many different generations and periods of history and they all they all look like white guys with yeah. the odd woman here <laughs> and there. Yeah, no, I think think like yeah, Pandora is the first vampire character who gets her own book where she narrates it, yeah. um, and that's like book thirteen, yeah. which just really does right. go to speak to yeah, you know, yeah. I mean. Anne, Anne Rice has been accused of having a thing for rape fantasy, not just because of her treatment of vampires, but she actually said, you know, her, I've never read these books, but her Sleeping Beauty trilogy, she said, oh, well, it's basically a rape fantasy. There's a quote. So a whole trilogy book is a rape fantasy. And mm, no, thank her, you. Her, her, argument is, her argument is, you know, everyone's allowed their own fantasies and that doesn't condone it and it doesn't, you know, but again, as we've, as you, I remember you getting uncomfortable when we were talking about Dracula, because actually, why do these films work on teenage girls so much more than they work on teenage boys? Um, you know, these these are probably uncomfortable things to. <laughs> what are we being served up? Mm. Why why mm. why do powerful men going? You don't have to move. I'm just going to push you back on the chaise long and bite your neck, and your toes are going to curl. You know all these. These things are bad for men and women, I would argue. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. We saw it all again with Twilight, didn't we? You know, when you're a boy, you grow up going, all you have to do is sit on a sofa and somehow trick a girl into kissing you. Not any, we don't talk about consent as teenage boys. It's it's all, no. it's all lean in accidentally, put your arm around them, see if you can undo their bra without them noticing. That's what you get told in the playground. And, that, and that's basically what these vampires are doing. They're, mm. they're tricking people. We call it seduction, yeah. but they're tricking people into into and then killing them. I mean, it's horrible. And but we see it all again in Twilight, and then the same in Fifty Shades of Grey. It's yeah, just which in Twilight, Twilight, she makes yeah. excuses. Excuses. I'm sure I've said this on here before, but she makes excuses <laughs> when after the first time they do have sex because she's covered in bruises. But she makes excuses for him. But it's fine. He can't help himself. And she's like fuck off and the same in 50 shades of gray yeah oh he wants he wants to spank her he wants to hit her um but he gets away with it because he was rich if he was a guy for council estate absolutely not so it's yeah it's yeah. all very messy yeah yeah very and that's messy. not to say we should cancel these films or anything because i think no. i think especially interview with vampire i mean i've never seen or read um 50 shades of gray and i really don't know very much about twilight because 
it just doesn't appeal. Like, no. Um, but um, <laughs> it's bad. But with Interview the Vampire, I think there's there's enough really good stuff going on. Um, and and it's obvious we're not supposed to be rooting for these guys, in a way. We're not. Yeah. You know, we're not. We're not going. We're not going. These these murderers are brilliant. Ha! Stupid women. We're just the women are dying in horrible ways, and we're not necessarily supposed to feel good about that. Um, mm. But it is a bit, you know, like Tandy Newton gets her. She she's she's as important in the film, according to the credits, as Stephen Ree. Stephen Ree. Yeah. And she's she speaks like two lines, and gets killed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, and plays a, and plays a stereotypical character as well. She, yeah, she plays a black yeah. a black maid who's all worried about her master. Yeah, and uh, yeah. you know, so it's it's uh, and a lot of that's a lot of it's in the book though. I think I mean I don't know all that much about Anne Rice, but from her books, she seems to uh, she seems to write exactly what she wants without any apology, which is to be uh, lauded, I suppose. But uh, but a lot of feminists have attacked her, <laughs> mm. and she just tells them to fuck off. But um, but I'd say the feminists probably have a point. <laughs> um. <laughs> They've always got a point. <laughs> yeah. Just on the subject of race, a couple of things that I noticed mm. um, was the the, uh, the the fact that being a vampire apparently um, conveys the the power of being a white savior onto you. Um, mm. Because there was that moment that made me slightly uncomfortable. Where you know he he was a slave master when he was a human, but now he's a, a conflicted vampire. He gives all the slaves their freedom. Although yeah. I, I did, fo- he got he kind of goes, "You have your freedom, bye." Yeah. And I was like, "How does that I'm work? Sure where, 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 where's the paperwork? Yeah, <laughs> they're they not all going to get lynched." Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And th- but there is also a bit where I think Louis claims to be Creole, doesn't he? It, it, so isn't that uh, mixed race? I could be wrong. If I if I if I don't understand it properly, then yeah, fair I enough. I thought Creole just meant you were descended from French. All oh, right. Okay. Oh, I don't know. I might be wrong on that. That's what it says on Wikipedia, just from my phone. Okay. <laughs> so, as with many other colonial societies around the world, oh, Creole yeah. was a term used to mean those who were native-born, especially native-born Europeans, such as the French and Spanish. It also became it also came to be applied to African-descended slaves and Native Americans who were born in Louisiana. Right. So okay. that could be uh, a fairly broad kind of term. I, I also don't think Brad Pitt saying saying he's playing a mixed-race character is necessarily an amazing thing. No. Oh, it's a. It's a no. Well, just mm. So work this film. <laughs> no, and it, it it's only one line, and they don't make anything out of it at all. I just um, it yeah, just yeah. made me pause for thought. So, Kirsty, um, I never got to ask you how you kind of reacted watching the film again now. I mean, has it um, been a long time since you've seen it before? Yeah, sort of similar, I think, to to Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I, I think the immediate thing was that it just didn't sing the way that. Bram Stoker's Dracula did for me now you know um, they're kind of oh, I'm glad to hear you say that it's not just me yeah so. it's not yeah, exactly you know kind of me, anywhere yeah. near as yeah not anywhere not anywhere near as operatic or as sort of skillful or as heightened as as Bram Stoker's Dracula and and you know and I think you know as we discussed in the previous episode all that really works for Bram Stoker's Dracula I, I appreciate this isn't trying to do that um 
it's trying for something that is a little bit more rooted in reality and a little bit more rooted in period uh, authenticity. Well, the thing about um, Bram Stoker's Dracula is it's kind of trying to do everything at once, and this yes. is much less ambitious, no. and there's yeah, not yeah. necessarily anything wrong with that. No, um, no, no. It's telling no. the story it wants to tell. But. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, particularly as an, a, a kind of an, a, you know an adult viewer looking back on this thing that I was really passionate about, um, I was you know kind of I did reappraise it and I did kind of you know as as has already been said like when I was fourteen the whole homoerotic stuff I didn't spot at all I just wasn't you know <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well, it just wasn't so far out of my head um, and I think that. Um, you know the the kind of the gender politics and the racial politics are also things that I kind of missed as well at the time. Mm. Um, and looking back on it now, it's it's like oh that you know it is much more problematic than. To I find it more problematic now than I did then. Yeah. Um, particularly because you know anybody who isn't a white male <laughs> is kind of very much in the background. Um, I did have this couple of little moments like I'd completely forgotten that the. Um, the, but the the kind of theatre of the vampires, um, mm-hmm. uh, I'd completely forgotten about that entirely. Um, and so that had this little moment of kind of going, oh yes, um, that's why it works. That's why it works. That's so why in what we do in the, the shadows. shadows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was exactly. thinking that as well. <laughs> what it was referencing, and I, like before, I'd kind of I'd, I'd missed that connection. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, obviously, the kind of the way that they kind of uh, you know reference Claudia's death, for example, yeah. is kind of fairly iconic but i'd forgotten about that um yeah so i mean it was quite it was it was more brutal than i remember it being more graphically violent than i think dracula was in many ways um and and i'm still you know at the time i was really annoyed as a book reader that um so the armand in the book is is very 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 different um in terms of age and also kind of you know uh, appearance he's oh. much younger and much more ginger right <laughs> uh, is a very very different character and at the time I was really confused about why about you know like why they would make that change and I kind of understand why in to a certain ex- extent that you know kind of if you can get another A-lister in there or at least a kind of you know uh, a known face then that works um, it does however for me mean that we've got three very powerful vampires who look largely similar yeah, in the you know long yeah. hair, you, uh, similar stature. Not much else, not much else going no, on. No, no. <laughs> so I would have liked a bit of variety then. But then you know, again, going drawing back to um, uh, what we do in the shadows. That you know, that moment at the beginning of the first episode where uh, Guillermo talks about how important Armand was. Oh yeah, yeah. As a, a you know, kind of representation is important. So the fact that we have a you know Hispanic <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, actor yeah. playing. Um, yeah. Uh, playing uh, Armand kind of now works for me in a way that it didn't at the time I think yeah yeah. yeah. So. I wonder if that's why I found it funnier this time because <laughs> of what we do in the shadows yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> maybe it was so I definitely thought about what we do in yeah. the shadows a number of times alright I'll cross out funnier <laughs> yeah. it, had, it, had, um, yeah. it had the stuff I really love about American vampires as well in that you know, the old, the old saying, the difference between an American and an, an American man and an English man is, is an American. Uh, Englishman thinks 100 years is a long way, and an American thinks 100 years is a long time. And it's like, I'm an yeah. vampire. I'm 400 yes. years old. It's like yeah. one million years. 
it's like it's like well it's, yeah there's that line at the end where 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 Lestat gets rid of the tape and, and says i've had to listen to that for centuries and you for think centuries. well actually no yeah. about 100 years probably maybe yeah. 120 years yeah mate. something like something like that and certainly you've not been with him for the last 100 years so sharp yeah, yeah. it's another thing that just as well is 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 they living through history and it just kind of they just kind of live in dark alleyways and you never quite yeah. know what year it is and then suddenly no. you slip through the you flip through the 20th century and so all the yeah. all the interesting stuff doesn't really happen it's just i mean i guess that's that's her decision as a writer not to be bothered about the passing of time but um you know but she and she and even when she even when she's I remember when even when she's like telling the story of people from the time of the ancient pyramids or ancient Egyptians I think um, you don't really get all that much like she like she glosses over the history like she's going to yeah. later um, everyone just talks like they're in a room <laughs> it doesn't really matter what year it is <laughs> that's yeah or who's yeah. king but maybe that's what it feels like to be a vampire you're not you know you're in a world of mayflies aren't you and you're yeah. for thousands mm. of years but um but yeah i'm 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 kind of i'm very much having rediscovered uh bram stoker's dracula um i thought maybe i'd do the same with this but actually i liked this more than bram stoker's dracula when i was younger just because i guess it was a little bit more standard as a movie but actually bram stoker's dracula mm. was amazingly ambitious and pulled it off apart from maybe a little bit with Keanu Reeves and a wedding but mostly <laughs> you know Francis Ford Coppola came up with a masterpiece and this mm-hmm. is just a workmanlike vampire movie with big yeah, it's alright and yeah. it's got yeah, many I mean... good moments but it also made me think do you know what the most interesting character is from my point of view and it, and also because she's so good he's Kirsten Dunst as Claudia mm-hmm. And I was thinking, actually, her story, if she was the centre of the story, and as I was thinking that and Googling today, there's actually a comic book called Claudia's Story, you know, the interview with the vampire, oh, wow. which looks great. The art looks amazing. It's, it's written and drawn by a woman. And it's the story, you know, it's, 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 a, you know, it's obviously got Anne Rice's permission. And it's the story of what we see in Interview with the Vampire, but from Claudia's point of view. So mm-hmm. I guess oh, it ends. Yes. I guess it ends with her down the well. Yeah. Also, um, Anne Rice's permission is very, very important. Do we? Do we all know this? No. Oh no. No. So you know, kind of as as such fil- you know, such kind of films and stories tend to do. They attract some reinterpretation uh, amongst devoted people. Ah, um, fiction. Yes. And yeah. she she will not have it. She has not had it legally. Really? She's not had it. Oh, yeah, wow, really? Absolutely. Wow. So, um, yeah. She sounds like a bit of an arsehole. <laughs> I mean, that's where am I going to make my conclusion of the day? No no, uh, I knew nothing about her until. There'll be no. Uh, there'll be no <laughs> shades of grey inspired by. No, uh, no, 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 no. Oh, well, that's no, a good no. thing. No. <laughs> yeah. no. Well, surely yes. all you have to do is change the names. Um. But oh, yeah. To make it le- just it's enough got, to make it legally distinct. <laughs> Take that, Anne Rice. Yes. Ooh, did you invent vampires? No. It's like hey, Rowling, <laughs> the amount of people she sued, and it's like, is that thing? Wow. You didn't invent wizards going to school. 
You didn't. Are you talking about J.K. Rowling now? Well, J.K. Rowling, she sued... sued so many people for like ripping off her stories, and it's like. Surely she just ripped off the worst witch anyway. The worst witch and Terry Pratchett mushed them together yeah. and went. Do you know what? I'm again like Anne Rice and her great <laughs> fantasies. I'm J.K. Rowling. What am I going to do? I've got the power to create anything. I'm going to make it like Star Wars with one girl in a massive thing <laughs> of men. <laughs> Nobody right on, sister. Yeah. <laughs> you did mention the other week, Ian, that you, you that Fifty Shades of Grey was the most annoying, annoyed you'd been about a book series since Harry Potter. Yeah. And I did kind of think, I wanted to follow up that with a question, but I guess I've got my answer. I hate Harry Potter. <laughs> Right. especially because i had to watch the films for work and i haven't watched any of them since unless someone asked me to go and see them to review them i've not watched them i just i just uh i am glad that my daughter's not bothered about it anymore you know they're like they're like everything epic and then they've taken all the epicness out of them and i just don't find them epic <laughs> loads of the essays that I'm marking at the moment and I've got 110 to go Um, so many of them write about Harry Potter and just ah, I used to have a list loads of them write about Harry Potter, Star Wars Doctor Who and Peaky Blinders can you watch something else Yeah, no, I used to to have a list of ones that I couldn't that they couldn't write about not many no (laughs) well they have to write about for this one I'm doing now they have to write about um, franchises oh right so they're all doing yeah. Harry Potter and yeah, because <laughs> I always get frustrated. I I've never liked Harry, I've never liked Tarantino. Never been convinced by him. I can see his worth in some places, but every year you get a new bunch of students and you go go around the room. What do you like? And all the boys. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction and Gladiator. <laughs> well, when I did my film studies degree, we had a a no write list. Had a list of films none of us were allowed to write about, regardless of whatever module you were doing. Were you doing horrors or westerns or whatever? And there was just this list of films you couldn't write about. And the only ones that I remember being on it, like there's probably about ten or twelve. And Pulp Fiction was on there, and Psycho was on there. There's other ones as well, but I just remember those ones. I I had I had a similar list. Kirsty, when you and I were at uni as students, we did not have that list though, did we? No, no. We we were forced to write about Psycho. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, it's okay, though. We were bad. Um, no, we weren't. We were forced to write about a Hitchcock film. But uh, some I people chose Psycho. First years, a couple of years ago, and nobody in the room had heard of Psycho. Oh. Um, but in a way, I was like, well, the, the positive of that is none of you know what happens in Psycho, do you? So I told them to go away and watching it. And about the three people that did bother said, oh, my God, the twist. Like, they probably it? the first people in about 70 years <laughs> have experienced Psycho as the as, as it was intended. So oh, I, I, I remember cool. being told the twist by my parents when I was 10. And even at the age of 10, I was annoyed. <laughs> I, I've got this inbuilt hatred of spoilers since before they were called spoilers. I'll never know what it's like to watch Psycho not knowing what happens. Bastard. Uh, yeah, I knew before oh. I saw it as well. And yeah. I, was quite I young, knew before but... I saw it as well because I was quite old when I saw it. Yeah. So it, I'd already seen it being, you know, parodied a million yeah, times. It's the last mm. scary film my mum ever watched in the cinema, and she's not watched a scary film since. Talking of people who wow. don't like scary films, one good thing about Interview the Vampire to bring it back is <laughs> yeah, thank you, Kelly oh, yeah. watched it and had a brilliant time watching it because this was one of the films she watched as a 
as a youngin as well and watched over and over again. So this was kind of on the level. She still found it quite scary, like Mm. she was jumping and stuff. Um, There are a few bits that made me jump, actually. It's not bad at that. But she really liked it. I guess guess it depends what... If you, you forget what it's like, if you don't like gore, then actually it's quite horrific. Like, some mm. people don't like every time he sticks a pin in. Like, Kelly freaks out every time she sees a needle go in someone's arm in casualty. And every time he stuck a stuck his thing in someone's wrist, that's a, really, that's a really grim thing to see if you don't like it. So, uh, mm. yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I thought it looked really good as a movie, and there's lots think... of good to it. Yeah, what? the effect where he cuts him in half or cuts yeah, his yeah. top off, that still looks great. That's that fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It still looks um, really good. I think, in a way like Bram Stoker's Dracula, this movie is, you know, it's a big studio movie and it's got talent on, on pretty much every level. It's just that everybody's chosen to be subtle in this film, whereas they're all pushing really hard in the other movie. I mean, you know, the make, special makeup effects in this film... Are by Stan Winston, you know, um, who we're used to seeing huge shape-shifting monsters and weird stuff from. But it basically comes down to they've got slightly sharp teeth. Although I did love the subtle detail that, you know, and I didn't notice this really the first time I saw it. And I only possibly only noticed it this time because I'd read about it before I saw the film. The fact that you can see the veins in the vampire's faces, and in order to achieve that effect, they had to hang the actors upside down for half an hour at a time while the makeup artist traced their actual blood vessels. Uh, uh, That's amazing. Uh, It was trying to buy himself out of the (laughs) (laughs) Look this, night shoots for six months and you have to hang upside down like a bat. (laughs) Should have just cast Daniel Day-Lewis and be done with it. Oh, that would have been great. <laughs> but apparently, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I've reread, I haven't reread this, but I, I think I remember at the time that, that um, uh, Tom Cruise, um, like, there were like tunnels that he'd had from set to his trailer, so he didn't have to talk, any, talk, talk to anybody. And oh, um, between takes, he wouldn't be referred to as, you know, Tom or Mr. Cruise or whatever, only as Lestat. Oh, he was methoding <laughs> it. Apparently. Bless him. <laughs> method Bless as a, him. 200 year old vampire but never mind yes. <laughs> uh, wow but he's insufferable isn't he yeah. <laughs> but so is Lestat so you know yeah Tom Cruise is a good actor I, I, much, I don't like him in Leeds though because I find him unsu- insufferable and smug so I don't like him in Mission Impossible but I mm. love him in you know in uh, Magnolia yeah. love him. I love him when he's playing an art Rain Man's amazing yeah, and or, or the or the color of money and all these films where he plays a cocky bastard that yeah. you that's a bit complicated and has got a lot to learn and is cut down to size. Then yeah, I'm I'm, I'm there for Tom Cruise, but it is mm. to me it does seem weird that he can bankroll a movie. Yeah, I guess, I guess, much like I can't quite understand why we've had four years of Donald Trump, can't quite understand. Why certain movie stars are huge? So they're quite. I think that's just it, though. It's because they're movie stars. It's not that they're necessarily incredible actors. I think certainly Cruz and Pitt are probably one of the last of the proper movie stars. Because now that we don't 
stardom isn't as as big as it was i don't think mm. you know the names aren't don't carry as much weight as you know these these guys and i think yeah it's, it's just that he's a movie star he's not you know yeah and because of his developed actor because of the time that he emerged as an actor and he's aged mm. at the right rate in terms of his experience and he's become a producer at the right time you know he's he's not just a star as he? he's a big mover and shaker within the industry so yeah well yeah he's he's not just Unsure. making movies he kind of mm. controls the religion so he looks like sandy toxvig yeah. <laughs> what about sandy toxvig <laughs> tom cruise looks like sandy toxvig <laughs> well, are they about the same height <laughs> How dare you slight yeah, Sandy Toxvig? <laughs> well, no, I apologise to Sandy Toxvig. She looks, yeah, she's better looking. But yeah, Google images them both together. It's hilarious. <laughs> right, okay. Sandy Toxvig and I've um, this, I, I, I haven't ever interviewed Tom Cruise, but I have met him. Um, clang. Clang. But, um, <laughs> it's weird because uh, I was, I was in, I was in LA, catching a plane, and. I saw a whole bunch of people wearing baseball caps and then I realised one of them was a bouncer I used to work with at a pub in Leeds who's now quite a well-known uh, stuntman in, in Hollywood. When we were there, he just started uh, from Huddersfield, of all places, called Buster. Um, is it Merrifield? But anyway. <laughs> no, Buster Merrifield is granddad from Fools and Horses. God, what's his name here from... Yeah, yeah. God, he's yeah, that's right. But no, he's called Buster anyway. But he's like a massively impressive kickboxer. Um, and he and he's and I remember seeing him on a. I had to review a DVD of one of the Mission Impossible's, and he was there. He's like mates with Tom Cruise, and he uh, and he uh, and he invented something called the face plant because he's got a big broken nose. And so when he falls from quite a height into concrete, he plants his face in the ground, crushes his nose. Gee. For the for the added effect, but no, he's an he's an amazing. Surely man. the fact that you've, surely the fact that you've already got a broken nose does not protect you from the effect of smashing your head into the floor. I think he's got no a great height. I think he's got no bone in his nose or something. He's just got a big squash. Right. Nose. But anyway, he's he's a really he's a really well known stuntman in uh, in uh, in Hollywood. And I saw him in uh, I saw him in LAX and went running over and went Buster. You might you might not remember me. Um, and they went, oh yeah, I remember you, I remember you. And then they were kind of talking. I just looked around and go, anyway, hi. And one of them was Tom Cruise, just looking like. Usually people run over to uh, speak to me, but uh, so, so in a way, that, that's like you should have ruffled his hair because he's dead small. Not run over, <laughs> just to generally know somebody. And you know, oh hi, yeah, Tom Cruise. Anyway, I carried on talking to Buster, but um, yeah, that's my thought. So, Ian, the sweet's name drop's done. We're running out of time, so I think we need to get another name drop out of you because you were talking about Claudia. And my feeling this time on watching the film was that once Claudia had died, there was a weird feeling of, and the film is still going on? Because suddenly (laughs) it was just about Louis. Um, That was far less interesting. But, um, Ian, you had a story about Kirsten Dunst, didn't you? Well, yeah, it it was good seeing her... I mean, she is she is, she is a fun act. She is a good actor, but here you could really see what people saw in her. Mm, I mean, yeah. is there an yeah. argument that this is her best role? Because she's yes. amazing. Um, <laughs> and I I interviewed her with Susan Sarandon, 
and um, Clang. and um, <laughs> and it was for that awful fucking film Elizabeth Town, which is have you seen that film? No, I haven't. I don't no, even you know look it. Shocking. With uh, Orlando Bloom <laughs> and Kirsten Dunst, oh. and they have this whole bit where uh, it's Cameron Crowe. And they have this bit where it's a terrible film. I hate it. After after it, I remember the Onion said Cameron Crowe after Elizabeth Town. Cameron Crowe to to uh, stop making movies and just to make soundtrack CDs instead. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was like that. It was like full of music. Every ten seconds, there was some music. And he even had a bit where where they have Hamish the Tambourine Man and during the bit where one hand raising free, they had Orlando Bloom with a tambourine in a wood um, with one hand waving free. Um, but anyway, the bit in the movie is Orlando Bloom goes and scatters ashes across America in a sort of montage. Everything's a fucking montage in that film, I think. And, uh, and, and the Kirsten Dunst character has given him this list of things. And I asked her, what would your actual list be of places to visit in the States? Um, and she went, what? I'm too young to know anyone who's died. And I went, well, I don't mean... And she's just really uh. offended. And then Susan <laughs> Sheridan looked kind of mortified on her behalf and just sort of went, I think what he means is, uh, is you know, what places do you recommend in the USA? And she just went and looked still confused. And then Susan <laughs> told me of some cool places and uh it was kind of awful. oh dear but uh oh no, no i'm sure yeah. she's a very lovely person but she didn't seem to get that <laughs> and that mm. thought i think sometimes you get people and you can tell if their film's been a bit bad you can tell they're in a bad mood and other times they're kind of yeah. quite pleased to be uh promoting their work like stephen ray i've met in fact and he was in a fucking clank he I interviewed for V for Vendetta and he was in the foulest mood. Foulest mood. Like he did not want to talk about it at all. Um, oh right. Because it was dog shit that film. <laughs> I know I know it's I know it's lasted way more than lots of people thought it would be. But I oh, think yeah? at the, I think at the time we all hated it as critics and and I think the cast did as well because they all looked slightly embarrassed when they were talking about it. But uh but that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other thing. I, yep. I hate that um, film as well. Uh, <laughs> I know you do. As we are coming to the end of our time, yep. I just want to quickly mention, uh, seeing you said Stephen Ray, I mm. I was very amused by by his amazing levitating cape. Yeah. You know, the bit where he dances on the ceiling and nobody noticed. Uh, his cape should be hanging down. His cape can't yeah. defy gravity, can it? Or maybe it can. Uh, yes. Magic that's cape. what vampires have the power to do to their clothes. Apparently. They maybe so. explain that point. Oh, I've forgotten as well. I've, I've met... I've met, um, I've met um, oh, another clang. <laughs> Incoming. I've met, I've met Armand. Um, clang! clang. Ooh, I'm calling him Armand because I've been up since five in the morning and I can't remember his bloody name. Um, Bandera. Antonio, Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas, yeah. And I met him for the very, very uh, glamorous film of one of the Shreks. I can't remember which one. Oh, right. The one, okay. well, one with Puss in Boots in, obviously. Oh, is he That's Shrek 2, I think. Film. So in it was the second one with one. Puss in Boots in and it wasn't for Puss in Boots. His casting as Puss in Boots is perfect yes it is yeah. and that wasn't no pun intended mm. but i think we should change the name of the podcast to another clanging saying i don't walk around saying i've met him i've met him it's for the listeners 
It's supposed to have a podcast. podcast. You're adding value. We understand. Adding value. <laughs> Apart from to my kids, who it's become a running joke that they all tell yes. me to shut the fuck up. Because well, <laughs> they just go, met him, met him, met him. I've given him a platform. <laughs> Dan, we need a new feature, though, I think. Not other necessarily a rebrand, but a new feature, which is just Clan Corner. Clank. <laughs> the Ian's Clank Corner. Oh, Clank Corner. Ten minutes. Yeah, we could. We could have ten minutes. Have like Swanny whistle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will begin searching the sound effects library you, now. Yeah, can you start putting in a clanging? Sound yeah, I think, I think we're getting there, aren't we? Um, okay, so everybody, um, that was interview with the vampire. When we return to nineties gothic, I think we'll be talking about. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which also came out in 1994, and I'm looking forward to that one. Okay, so my recommendation, I'll go first because this is quite appropriate to this film, is the other vampire movie directed by Neil Jordan, Byzantium. I watched it last night. It's also on Prime. I rather enjoyed it. Again, it's it's um, it's an interesting vampire film, um, and it's a drama. It's not like this one. It's not really thrilling. Um, <laughs> not selling it, it Dan. You're selling it. <laughs> no, I suppose I'm not. But it's it not got really great performances funny. from Gemma Arterton and 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 Saoirse Ronan. It's a really interesting take on uh, uh, the vampire myth. When did um, it come out that film? 2012, and yeah. it's it's noticeably, you know, you can tell that it's made in an era of Jordan's career where. Um, things have shifted for him. It's shot in Ireland, I think, and it's you know it's it's very much an indie film, not a glossy Hollywood production like this. But it, again, it's about arguably a toxic same-sex relationship between two vampires, but in this movie they're female. Um, and and it also like Interview with the Vampire, it has period sequences, but they're all flashbacks. Um, but they are quite well done, and there's a lovely cameo. Well, two um, cameos by Johnny Lee Miller and Tom Hollander, who you don't expect to be in the movie. Um, it is worth watching. It, it, it's got dramatic uh, moments and great performances. I think on balance this time I enjoyed it more than Interview the Vampire, but you know that might just be a function of having seen the film before. And it's it's only called Byzantium because oh. it's set mostly in a seaside hotel called Byzantium. Um, unless there's some mythic reading that I'm missing, but anyway, so that's my recommendation. Where can we see this, Dan? Because mm. I haven't even seen Byzantium. It's on Prime. Um, Stella, did you have a recommendation this week? I've got two. They're not vampire related though, mm. but they are related themselves. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, the Night Stalker, which landed on Netflix the other day, uh, which is the latest documentary about well. The Night Stalker um, doesn't necessarily have any new information in it, but it's more a exploration of the events from the point of view of the investigation. So that's quite good. Um, people have been complaining that it's a bit brutal with the crime scene mm. photographs, so so be warned. But yeah, it's all right. It's a decent watch. Um, and then the other one is the Pembrokeshire Murders that was on ITV last week, um, which is about, well, as it suggests, the Pembrokeshire Murders, and it's got... Um, really good cast it's in sort of a gray damp bit of wales um that was a three-parter and then the fourth bit is a documentary about how how they've got the guy banged back up again but yeah 
the ITV one on the Pembrokeshire Murders and Netflix for the Night Stalker. Okay. So that's what I did with my weekend, just gone. I just watched that because I didn't <laughs> want to mark anymore. So I just watched Murders for two days and I felt much better. <laughs> <laughs> that's therapy. Uh, how about you, Kirsty? Um, mine, I've only got one and it's 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 uh, a, a film that um, we have already mentioned or talked about on an episode, but I just noticed that it's on the iPlayer for a whole year. So um, I'd like to recommend uh, Jennifer Kent's uh, rather affecting and creepy as hell, The Babadook. Wow, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. I will second that. It's on BBC iPlayer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. On the iPlayer. It's good to know. Good That's info. Cool. Fantastic. I've, um, I just want to, cool. I want to uh, just say I've basically been I'm hooked back on The Expanse. Um, after a disappointing season four, season five is mm. awesome. Um, really good. And it's on every Wednesday on Prime. Prime are doing well out of us this week. Yeah, they are. We're not we're not sponsor, sponsored by them, but we would stand to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> I haven't watched totally Prime would. in ages. And I sometimes go do it. It's the what it's Prime is actually quite often the one that I think I could probably save a bit of money and shave that one off. Yeah, same. And uh and then for some reason then then they they probably are aware of all these things and then they, they get they go just a minute. The geeks who like dark stuff haven't are thinking about getting rid of their subscription. <laughs> yeah, yeah have another okay. season of The Expanse. Stuff, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you don't quite get around to doing it. No, I would like. To, I'd like to second any a, a recommendation for The Expanse. It is superb. Over, I mean, it. obviously, I'd love to. It's very well crafted, very dark, um, and I am Ian. Ian, you're the only person who's going to get this. I am completely here for drama. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, my wife's not listening, is she? No. <laughs> my wife actually looks quite a lot like drama, so that's fine. <laughs> but I'll stop. Well, I mean, okay. <laughs> Intrigued on all, all sorts of levels. All right. Yes. Um, okay, my friends, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week. I don't know exactly who. And I don't know exactly what we'll be talking about, but we will be back. Uh, it's been a pleasure, as always. Thank you so much, Kirsty. Thank you, Stella. Thanks, Dan. Thank and you. thank you, Ian. That is all. Thank you, listeners. And we'll return. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> you have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Kirsty Warrow. Ian Winterton, Stella Gaynor, and T.D. Velasquez. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com, for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages, at AndNowPod or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter, at AndNowPodcast or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash AndNowPodcast. And now, the podcast 
stops.